Welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. Man to man. Hannah Cappy. Um, yeah. Okay, who are you, by the way? First of all, so people can I, know. Can I say hi? Okay, do your Dang, thing. Man. Be cool. All right. What's up, man? This is uh, yeah. Ali. You feel me? The who's Ali? One of the the prodig- the prodigal children. Yeah. Uh, from from Mister Round Twelve Resilience. Um, his me. second son. Yep. Um, you know. What can I say? I don't really need an intro. Everybody knows. Oh, yeah. no, I'm just the, playing. The, no, I'm just playing. But, uh, the man who really needs no introduction. Yeah, you smell yeah, me. Right. You smell me. I smell you. Already. Nah, but yeah, I'm doing a little guest appearance here. We're going to switch some stuff up here. Instead of this guy, you know, just talking and doing all the talking, I'm going to ask him some questions. Um, you know, Trouble. he's going to be the one getting interviewed now. Trouble so with we gonna, capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. Put the pressure on him. Okay. Pressure. Y- y'all about to know who we voted for nice and girl. everything. Oh, them everything. like that. Mm-hmm. Everything. All the old juicy, juicy. You say. Yeah, you smell me. So, uh, I mean, how you doing today, Roger? Nobody really asked you that on these shows, on these podcasts. But how you doing today? Damn, ain't that the truth. It's crazy, right? It's crazy how they do. Yeah, people like me, they don't ask how you doing too much. Yeah, but we asking right now. So, how you doing okay, today, Roger? Man, I'm doing good. I'm do- Actually, I'm doing very well. I got my workout in this morning. I'm going to get a double session later on just because I feel like it. And uh, I've been getting some corporate work done as well, so I feel pretty good. Do people know how much you work out? I don't think they do. <laughs> do you tell you ever tell you tell them enough? Like how, how much you really work out? Why are you trying to verify? Yeah, there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, I'm you, trying you to tell know. y'all. Hey, 60, 63 going on 42, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a lot of got to work in, um, way more than people my age. I'm 21, and I'll be tired. And he'd be like, we can keep going. Oh, well. <laughs> but, um. It's good to hear, Roger. Uh, well, let's start off from the beginning, cause I mean, you kind of have gave a, a lot of like insight on the beginning, but I don't know if you really like all the way just talked about your background. So tell us first off the city that you're from, um, you know how it was growing up, and some of the things that you went through, and some of the things that you saw that kind of helped mold you into the man that you became today. Wow, that's a broad, big old broad question, man. That's like a big old bear of a question but as I gosh man yeah just a small little you know a little yeah. summary gives my little insight I, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. well as I sit here and reflect well I, I mentioned that I'm from New Jersey on here uh, the main city is New Brunswick New Jersey and if you isolate based on the township because you'll see a lot of that back there I'm from Somerset um, County or, or Franklin Township as it were my high school is Franklin High School and while, uh, you know, listeners may, may or may not be interested in how this all rolls and answer to your question, uh, gosh, dude, you, you make my mind ponder uh, 
when you ask me a broad question about how I came up, where I'm from, what it's all about. And I can think back to my mother, my grandmother, my uncle, my great-grandmother, my, my aunt, my uncle, and that surrounding family with my father uh, mixed in there. And uh, it's interesting to note that I met my father when I was two. Um, and he wasn't my biological father, and he became a very important part of my life, one of the most important and significant parts ever, and I think of him every day without fail. Without fail, I think of him every day. There's no question, because he was so good to me, and he died at nine years old. And I think that changed the character of who I am. I think it changed the perception of how I look at life, and I think it made death a reality to me. And so without getting too deep and too broad into all of it, I think it made me force the issue on being connected to you and your brother. I think without him having been in my life and having given me a touch of what true connected loyalty and manhood was, I may not have been as capable, as motivated, and as sincere about looking out for you and your brother. And when I talk about looking out for you and your brother, I'm talking about without a question, without a doubt, for real, all the way, dug in, as we say, and um, to this day, I, I think about him as um, probably one of the most fortunate things to ever happen to me in my life. Sad and unfortunate that the biological father that I would have had was never someone that I met or talked to or, or got to love or know. And that's how it is in life sometimes. And that's what this kind of podcast is all about. To see, now I'm stretching out a little bit other than your question. Mm-hmm. Is because I think what this podcast in its original creation was by design to appeal to and draw out those people who have gone through things. Who have endured challenge. And who have come out on the other side. And yeah, maybe, maybe not rich uh, as far as money is concerned. And maybe not perfect in their life but came through and now have a level of stability that story is an important story and so when you ask me about me and where I came from and what I went through and how I dealt with it I got story after story after challenge after difficulty after thing that made me who I am but I came through you see I came through and I'm sitting here with you right now and we have a relationship like man and that's why I titled this man the man right now because we're not dealing like child to father you know, we dealing like well, father to son, certainly, but not child to father. We dealing man to man now. And I like how we sit down and talk to each other like, man, we do it all the time. You popping in the house and popping out and I'm popping in the house and popping out. And we doing what we got to do. And I think we're learning about each other. So where I came from was on the other part of the country. Where I am now is a place where I hope it's universal and, and, and positive and growth oriented and contributory to other people. I'm trying to make the world better by my life um, somehow or the other every day that I live. It's my lot in life anymore to make the world better somehow every day that I live. And that's what's up. Mm. I like that answer. That was a very descriptive answer. You know, very, uh, definitely got in depth. Uh, I like that. That's the type of stuff that people like to hear and that a lot of people don't hear. A lot of people don't have, you know, certain people in their life like you were fortunate to have somebody that wasn't your biological father in your life after your biological father wasn't there but a lot of people just have that void uh you know not filled so it's um it's, it's definitely like inspirational person personally i grew up too so i don't necessarily have a feeling but i completely understand how important that type of thing is to young people's development especially um a young man's development trying to grow as a man without a man to really look at and things like that so uh you know it's really like a testament to to all the people that went through certain things like that because the majority of my friends don't know their father you know what I'm saying don't have him in their life and stuff like that so it's like it's, it's very different a lot of people you know know the pain of loss and all that type of stuff so um, New Brunswick New Jersey so yeah. try to paint a picture for me and, and, and the listeners so paint a picture whatever you vividly remember when you wake up in New Brunswick New Jersey what do you remember what sticks what would you see what was in the what was in the eye of Roger Hamilton the eye <laughs> oh that's crazy oh uh, wow uh, well 
I lived in a, in a project. Mm, in a project, right? Yeah, so, a lot of people don't know that about you. A lot of people yeah, see they just see the outside, the, yeah. the smart, the you know, the spunkiness and all that. They don't really know exactly where you came from, you know. And for people, especially in California, New Jersey in nineteen in the sixties and seventies was a very different place than California in California and Oakland in twenty nineteen. Yeah, the projects out here, mm-hmm. you look luxurious. It looks nice, even though people still, you feel me over there. It looked nice though. The houses be looking nice and said, but to, to, it's not necessarily nice. So I tell you. So what do you see? What do you remember seeing? What what was in your eye when you woke up? And when you lived on like a day to day basis, what are the things that stuck out? What are the things that you would you know would see a lot in that kind of uh, were a part of you in your life? Well, it's funny when you said when when what I would see in my eye, and mm-hmm. I couldn't help but think about this friend of my father's, and I was still a little kid, but I can remember this guy's face like it was yesterday, and his name was Cotton Eye. Cotton Eye. Cotton Eye. Cotton Eye. And the Everybody reason they called him the... Cotton Eye. It's because he had got stabbed in the eye, Sheesh. and his eye healed to look like it had all this white foam and cotton in it. Sheesh. And he was probably the scariest looking man I ever saw. He was one of my father's best friends. And so when we grew up, and my mother and father were trying to build a life, we lived on the upper floor of a rented house. And the house was down the street from Hamilton School, which is I wound up going to later in my early years of my, what, I think, second grade or whatever it was, first or second grade. And I remember Cotton Eye because my mother used to have card parties and people would come over and it would be all adults in the room and I was the only kid. So what's the scene? Describe the scene Ooh. at one of these card parties. Oh, the scene at the car party? That's but crazy. Take us there. Take us there. All right, like, yo, language. Okay. <laughs> So I'm the kid, and at the time I was the oldest. So what the room looked like? No what kids. is the room? What is the layout? Yeah. Was it wood on the ground? Was it, you know, was it hardwood? Was it the cement house? What does it look That's like? That's crazy, man. Well, it was hardwood floor. Hardwood floor. Uh, there were multiple bedrooms. Uh, the kitchen was in the back of the house. Like when you walked up the stairs and you came in the front door, you came into a living room area, and the living room area was big. And then you went deeper into the place, and then you passed bedrooms, and the kitchen was in the back of the house. That's funny how I'm remembering that now. It was hardwood floors indeed, and there was a big table sitting in what I guess would be considered a dining room. Um, and it was older, you know, an older older building, uh, but well-kept. And I think this guy, Cotton Eye, either owned it or had something to do with owning and maintaining it. And my bedroom was off to the left. That's funny. I haven't thought about this in... 60 years that's crazy my bedroom was off to the left i remember my bed was made of wood and i had a, a squeaky mattress and i used to sleep comfortably in that room with no windows and if i remember correctly the adjoining rooms had no windows the bedrooms had no windows either so the only windows were in the very front of the house and the very back of the house that's kind of interesting mm. And uh, when the car parties happen, my mother's mouth would always be probably the biggest. They'd be at that big table you were talking about? At that big table, chilling. My aunt Sandra didn't play cards, but her and my mother were best friends. And so she would say, girl, you know you ain't got nothing in your hand. You know you can't beat me playing big whisk, girl. Let me tell you something. And they would go yelling back and forth. And then the men, it seemed back then that the men would all almost have a separate way to coexist like you would have the men on one side and the women on the other side and even if they were playing cards you could see the men gravitate to each other and the women gravitate to each other but yet they would coexist together and it would get loud in the room and everybody was smoking everybody was smoking cigarettes or cigars and that was my uncle bebop that's my man the man of the world his name was bebop his actually his name was henry but they call it Bebop. Where did Bebop come from? Yeah, oh, my God. Bebop Rizzo came from South Carolina. No, you know, I mean the name. Oh, Bebop. You know, to this day, I've never figured it out. Now, one <laughs> could say it was, it, was, it was music. Like, back then, there was There's an no era idea. where there was Bebop music, and it was jazz. But he didn't have a smooth jazz bone in his body. No he was idea. more like a uh, uh, an R&B crazy man, like that dude. So, I don't know. Bebop, it may have came from the way he walked and the way he acted. Because he was a great baseball player, too. He used to play mm. baseball on the side and everything else probably could have been a pro if he mm. wanted to a great delivery truck driver and all but he had a personality and character like nobody else and it's significant to this story he wound up being a bit of a surrogate father when my father passed away mm. and all those ways of the world and all those methods of having 
having a, a sense of respect for what work is, what quality work is I got from him. And that's a whole other story. That would take me a while. It takes me down the road. But to finish, you, to answer your question about what that room looked like, so here I am, this kid, and nobody's babysitting me. I'm sitting in a room somewhere. I'm off to the side saying, be, be, stand over there and let grown folks work. And then the men would go and get beer in a foam container, similar to the container that you see with Chinese food, only it was circular and had a removable cap on top of it, made of paper. And so when you got beer to take out, they would go get those takeout beer containers. Uh. And then they would have it. And oftentimes I would hear them say, boy, you want to go and get some more beer? Come on, Bob. And my father would call Bebop Bop. I think he was the only one that would call him Bop. Bop. And how I remember that from nine years old, I will never know. Yeah, it's crazy People when you think about it. It's crazy when you think about it. You said, you know, you think about your father all the time. You're all about to be 63 now. He passed away when you were, you said, nine, ten? Nine years old. Nine years old. And you still remember it. So it's always crazy kind of how, you know, the human mind works, you know, and things like that. It's, 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 it's great to hear too that your memory still working. I mean, you're not getting too old yet. You old. You getting gray hair, but you're not too old yet. I ain't getting no gray hair yet, back. And then so 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 this is so that story was Roger from what age you would think? Well, actually, from from that memory, that, house, that memory. What do you think? How what age you think? That you house. I was, that I was seven. Seven. Yeah, and then later we moved and we got the nod to go ahead and get this uh, apartment and the and the projects. Okay. And what I remember about the projects that's kind of strange and even Parkside projects, right? Is at night when you were in your bed about to go to sleep, especially in the summer with the screen on the window and the window open. You heard life unfolding. Mm-hmm. You heard these conversations, even if they were quiet conversations. A lot of times they'd be hollering, people would be shooting dice, people would be singing songs out mm-hmm. there, people would be active at night. It seemed like people would come alive. And on the East Coast, mm-hmm. people are more night owls anyway. Mm-hmm. So that whole sense of, of life and electricity got in me very early in mm-hmm. life. Hearing yeah. people express themselves. You see it all, honestly. You see, especially in them type of environments, sometimes you're exposed to it all. Sometimes it might not be good, but at the same time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty it it, it could it has yeah. positives at the same time like i know a lot of people who who say like um you know there's some people who kind of shield their children from a lot of things and make <laughs> it seem like it's not there or it's not a real thing true, true. and in some ways it, it's better to kind of show them what it is and why it's wrong so they have an understanding of it instead of them going out to try it later on or like try and see what's going on you know later on because they kind of already have an understanding of it and they've already made the decision that that is or that isn't where they want to go so you know it's sometimes it's it's negative because you know sometimes in those type of situations a lot of times you're exposed to a lot of stuff you shouldn't be exposed to necessarily and you um you kind of it's kind of a big part of your life but at the same time it gives you life lessons and shows you what you do or do or not want to be you know so it's kind of uh it's crazy seeing that grow up and that's why i want to move from that to so you say you're about seven. So let's fast forward about ten years. Seventeen. Seventeen year old Roger Ooh. Hamilton. Where you at? What do you oh. see? Put us in. Put a, oh, put us no. back there. Oh man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Round twelve yeah. resilience, baby. Yeah, man. Come on. We <laughs> asked the hard questions here. Seventeen. Tell us where you was at. Seventeen. All right, I'll give you a day in the life of seventeen. Mm-hmm. Give us something. And then yeah, this one will stay with you. All right, so I'm 17. I'm still mm-hmm. living in my mother's house. I'm give us then. Give us the picture. Show it. Make us there. All right, it's there. a. Um, it's a uh, a suburban house, right? So you guys are in a house. And it has right? a it has a basement. Mm-hmm. My mother was fortunate enough to get a in a quote program mm-hmm. where they selected uh, certain people. She got fortunate. Long story short, with the bank, with the this and with the that, to get this home it had a detached garage, it had green um, uh, siding on the side. Uh, we hardly ever entered through the front door. We always entered through the back. Uh, it was like a, a little. Uh, studio a pantry type thing and then you entered the kitchen and when you entered the kitchen it had this decorative yellow uh wallpaper on the mm-hmm. wall refrigerator on the left stove on the left i used to cook for my sisters all the time since mm-hmm. i was the oldest I always took care of my sisters mm-hmm. and uh and it was interesting because i had left home a couple years earlier at 15 because of some issues and me and my mom's had trouble getting along I had, <clears throat> had so, trouble you, so you weren't living the there at the time place. No, I was in 17, I was. 17, what? 15, I had left and had a uh, a big uh, situation with a gang of dudes, and I f- fought them all, and things happened, and, and we all had to do what we do, and I wound up being at the hospital. My mother came to get me and said, please, you got to come home. I didn't want to. One thing led to another. I did. 
That's crazy. That's a whole nother story in itself too. That's a that's a turning point in my life that that is one of the most significant things that ever happened to me because I got busted in the head with a baseball bat and my head opened up and the doctor said I could have should have died but I didn't and all that and then I wanted to go kill the dudes but uh, I didn't and I wound up changing my life. Uh, so this so is at after 17 that. I'm revised a little so bit. This is after that after all that yeah, crazy way stuff. after. I've gone okay. through a lot. I'm a wrestling champion. Uh, I, I stay in high school because I, I didn't gravitate to what teachers were saying a lot of times. They didn't I, understand me. I didn't identify, but I couldn't leave school because I loved wrestling so much. Uh-huh. So I'm a very fit guy. Uh-huh. My best friend is named Lexi. He's crazy as heck. He did time in Juvie and um, in Jamesburg. Jamesburg was known for being hard, uh, but me and him was best friends. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was different than I was. Uh, he didn't, like, I would operate on cars and try to fix them. And here I was at 17. I got my license at 17, my birthday in September. And by the beginning of the next year, I'd already had six cars. So I would buy them and sell them. And and I became enterprising very early in my life. So here's a story, a picture. It's on on a November day. Uh It's the day before Thanksgiving. Uh I put my money together to go buy my first car because I saw it in the back of somebody's yard. Uh And it was sitting still, and I was a hot rod guy. I kind of gravitated to hot rods. Mm. And this was a 1965 GTO, Mm. Pontiac GTO, famous car, beautiful. It was like a turquoise. It Mm. was like a half blue, blue, green, whatever, turquoise. Mm. It was sort of a standard stock color, Mm. dark turquoise. And I asked the guy, you know, if he would sell it. He said, yeah, but you got to do a little work to us. I said, does it run? He said, yes. Long story short, I got it home. Uh-huh. Then there's a guy that I connected with, Mike Lumsey. Never forget him. Mike Lumsey, a crazy man Mike from the Lumsey. South. and But he was here, living here, dating my cousin, right? Uh-huh. Cousin Pat. So we got together, started talking. I told him I got a goat, 65 goat. He was excited. He said, you got a 65 goat? One thing led to another. We examined it. So here we are this day. It's the day before Thanksgiving. The house is empty. My mother's at work. My sisters are staying because it's out of school. With, at my cousin's house, at my aunt's house in Sandra. And I'm at home that morning alone. It's dark outside, and even when the sun starts, to, or when the day starts to come, it's still hazy and shadowy outside. And it's a misty rain. And on the East Coast, when it's a November misty rain, it's usually cold, cold as ice. Uh-huh. But Mike Lumsey and I had decided that we're gonna work on this car today and we're going to bring it up to speed, uh-huh. and we're going to make it run the way we want it to run. Right? So I had already gotten some brand new Mickey Thompson tires on it. Uh-huh. I had put my wheels on it that I had bought in advance, so I already had them in my hand, so it was gleaming. had Craigers. I, I always like Craigger wheels. <laughs> so I put my Craigers on it, and then I had already changed the, uh, the rug so that it had a shag rug in it. Took the seats out, put the rug in myself already. So now all we had to do was bring Mike Lumsey over, and we had to tune up the vehicle. We had to put a heater core on it, which meant that we had to take the entire dashboard off. And then we had to go through the entire panel and go back through the engine side and take all that apart over the course of the day. So he said, you better be ready. We got a work day ahead of us. He said, I'm going to bring my tools. So you got to be ready. I said, I'm going to be ready. No question. So that morning, Mike Lumsey's car drives up. It's misty outside. I have on a pair of jeans. I have my socks. I always wore sneakers back then. Even in the snow, we walked around with sneakers. It was crazy. Cons. Uh-huh. Usually converses. I've been wearing. I don't know why I'm cons. telling this story. You crazy asking me this. Cons. Yeah, I was wearing my cons and stuff, right? All these. But I had my jeans on, and then I had a um, a long john shirt on. And, and for those who don't know long john shirts, they're this quilted material that on the East Coast, people were construction guys wear them quite a bit. It's quilted, it's like a pullover, it's like a, a tank top with long sleeves, but it's quilted so it keeps you warm. Uh-huh. So I had that and I had an outside shirt on top of that. Uh-huh. Right, so effectively, just a just a pullover shirt, probably a sweatshirt or whatever. No hat, no no nothing, it was just you deal with it. You learn to deal with the cold. cold the weather is probably about, mm, probably about 30 degrees, uh-huh. right? So Mike Lumsey pops up, he beeps the horn, I go outside, and we start. Long story short, he pulls his tools out, lays them all over the place, and we start taking things apart. And it was about 7 a.m. when Mike Lumsey got there. Still misty outside, sun never came out, rained off and on, we out there. 
I had some sandwiches pre-made. So we would eat the sandwiches with grease all on our hands. We eat the sandwich anyway, right? Disgusting. When it came hungry time. Just right? disgusting, but go ahead. Yeah. And so it was 7 a.m. when we started. And it was just around 7 p.m. when we got done. A long, hard automotive job. In the cold. And Dan, Mike Lumsey said, go ahead, man. Gave me my own keys to my own car. Said, it's up to you to do it. He said, let's do it. Let's see. Made me sit down in the car. My left leg is sticking outside the car with the door open. He's standing over me. And he's looking inside. I turn the key and it goes. Boom, 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 boom. Beautiful. Then we seen water coming out the tailpipe. When you see water coming out the tailpipe, you know you're doing something. <laughs> so that, that vehicle was running well. We did it. We checked for leaks. We checked for issues. We revved it up. We did what we had to do. I said, man, we are there. Mm. I said, Mike, man, why don't you take it out? He said, no, it's your. I said, no, no, no. You, man, you help me? Go ahead. Take it for a test drive. See what happens. And you could hear him drive off. Mm. Driving the car down that short street that I lived on. That's probably a good feeling. Yeah, it was an awesome feeling. So I'm standing there goofy like a child. Mm. Right? As I could hear him turn the corner and, and those, uh, those headers open up. Mm. Down the street. Great. Right? So he comes back. He parks the car. It's good, and we're standing there admiring our work. Now it's dark again. And now it's misty rain more. Now it seemed like the rain started more after we finished that job. And then suddenly, a car drives down the street, and it's Sonny Mickens and Lexi Henderson. Lexi, my best friend, and Sonny, my tricky friend. Sonny was that kind of friend who was your friend, but you better watch him because he'll steal your stuff. You got an eye on the side just every now and then. all the time. Sonny was like that. And if you ever hear this, you know I'm telling you the truth, chump. Right, <laughs> and so Sonny had this beautiful '69 <laughs> Malibu that his parents helped him get, and he was proud of it. And Sonny was a, a little showboat anyway, so he was all egocentric. We were supposed to go to the race to the to uh, the uh, the roller rink that night, right? We were all excited about going that, and I was so immersed in doing the job, I forgot that we were supposed to go to the, the rink. And so they drove up, and Lexi. Roll the window down. He wants nothing to do with mechanical. So he's looking at me crazy anyway. He said, man, you finished? What happened? I said, it's running good, man. He said, cool. You going with us or not? I said, oh, man, I forgot. I forgot, man. Oh, man. I said, all right. No, nah, man, I'm not going to go. Look, I'm all messy. I'm dirty. I ain't ready. Y'all just go ahead, man. I, I had to, I'll catch you tomorrow. You know, tomorrow, you know, it's time to eat. After that, you know, all them people, they do all that eat stuff. We hook up. You know, we cool. I said, you know what? I got to drive this thing anyway. I'm going to follow you to the graveyard, and then I'm going to turn around and come back, and I'll holler at you tomorrow. They said, all right, come on, man. That's cool. The graveyard was on the way. It was on uh, Route 27 heading up to uh, North Brunswick where they were going to the skate ring. Uh So I said, okay. I said, Mike Lumsey, man, good looking out. I always call him by his whole name. I don't know why that was. Mike Larry. Mike Lumsey. Mike Lumsey. So I said, Mike, man, good looking. Mike Lumsey, and uh, I'll holler at you tomorrow. I'll meet you over. Go to Pats tomorrow. I'll meet you over there. We'll talk a little bit. All right, cool. So Mike Lumsey left. I jumped in my vehicle, Sonny took off, I followed, took off behind him, now it's really raining. And it's that, that streamy rain, not hard rain, but the rain where you can hardly see because the drops are so small and whatever. And I remember the inside of this vehicle where the wires were hanging down and the, and the interior was not fully developed yet where I wanted it to. I had to get some things replaced and I was driving and I had no handle on the shift knob, right? It was a four speed. I had no handle on the shift knob, so it was just the threads were there. But I'm dealing, I'm going to get to the, the auto parts store, I'm gonna get me one soon, and we good, no problem at all. So I'm driving behind him, and this vehicle is running well. It sounds good, it feels good, it's mine. I'm 17 years old, my life is grown no matter what. I've been through challenges, I grew up poor, but I made money anyway. I used to work at the car wash, I used to do whatever I needed to do to make money. Mm. And I'm following behind Sonny, and he's kind of taking off a little bit ahead of me, because, you know, he's trying to be Sonny. Right, and I'm behind him, but now I'm focusing on the dashboard, like and how it's looking and how it's going to be, and I'm imagining and visualizing how I'm going to enjoy this vehicle. So I I I cupped a, a handful of wires that were hanging down from the center of the dashboard, thinking I'm going to put some music in here. I'm going to hook this up. So I cupped those and I leaned over sideways to just get the wires out of the way while I'm driving down 27. And 20, 27 is a two lane. Uh, highway, right? So opposite vehicles are coming at you and you're coming at them. No barrier, no nothing. It's just a two lane. And so as I cut those vehicles and I'm rounding the bend at Osage Drive, never forget it. 
rounding the bend at Osage Drive. I got those wires in my hand and BAM! Head-on collision, going 50 miles an hour with the car on the other side. The car was filled with a father, a mother, and two kids in the back, and none of them had seatbelts on, and neither did I. I went through the glass window. My, the car spun because I hit it on the curb and it hit it on the, the left light. So it spun the car, and as it spun, it threw me through the window, and it cut my back on that exposed thread of the shift knob, and I was lying there, wondering what happened, half unconscious, half conscious, and all I could hear was screaming in the distance, and see smoke and steam coming from the front of the So that puts you there. I got out. And in a bit of shock, I started kicking the vehicle. Just kicking it, kicking it. What? What? No! Kicking it, kicking it, kicking it. Until I snap out of it. And I see this large Caucasian man, real, real tall, probably about 6'4" running around his car in circles, running, running, help, help, somebody help me, somebody help me, my wife, somebody help me. And he ran across the street to a house that was dark and he busted the window, knocking on it, I guess. Help me, help me, somebody help me. And I went over to him to try and say something, apologize because I thought it was my fault. And he ran past me like I wasn't there and then ran past me again, he was in shock. And the lady, her head had gone, crashed the windshield, and she had blood streaming down her face, like painted red. And she was stiff as a board, sitting in the seat, frozen, stiff, with her eyes just rolling around, blood streaming down her face. And the kids were screaming, this blood-curdling scream you can't even imagine. They were just screaming. And he's running around still in circles, trying to find somebody or something. And you could hear, you could hear the police sirens coming. And they screeched to a halt in front of us all and they got there, two cars, one on each side of the road. Now traffic's backed up on either side now. And lights are gleaming on us like we're on stage because of the then the misty rain still going down and the car smoking and steaming sitting there in the middle of the road and once the cops son cops come and they get out to try and help one comes over to me and one goes over to him him the tall man and the man says get him away from me I'll kill him you see what he did to my wife get him away from me I'll kill him at 17, the day before Thanksgiving. Man, that's crazy. I didn't expect that. Mm -mm. It's real, bro. Man, a lot of stuff happens. This life stuff is not a game at all. Not at all. Mm -mm. Not at all. Now, one thing I wanted to ask, it's, um, it's one thing that a lot of people kind of feel like they struggle with, especially my age. Like, we don't really know where we're going and what we're doing, things like that. Um... I want to ask you about the word disparity, mm. desperation, being desperate. What does that mean to you? Um, how has it affected you if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you were desperate? And how can you get out of being desperate into, you know, being being set square and everything fine? Because a lot of people, I know for a fact my age, we don't really know where we're going. We kind of feel like, sometimes we kind of feel like a, a chicken with the head cut off and you know, one time, one one thing happens. You know, you get your your car breaks down. The next day, late to your job, and the last time you could be late, like lose your job. The next day, getting eviction notice. The next day, you know, just stuff keeps happening. Stuff keeps piling on, and you know, time doesn't wait for anybody. So a lot of people, you know, just don't really know what to do. And I always say that desperation either brings out the best in someone or the worst in someone. 
either you bring out the best and you just do whatever you have to do or it brings out the worst and you kind of just give up and let life do what it does to you so what is being desperate and being how what does being desperate mean to you and how can people overcome disparity and desperation and and get out of the hole wow that's a heck of a question Ali. heck of a question you know there's a saying desperate men take desperate measures and that's what winds up happening people who are desperate wind up doing things that are right in line with their desperation and wind up making their lives worse because they're so emotionally torn and torn up and i i've i've been in places where i thought i had no hope i started from a beginning with sort of alcoholic uh, folks in my family who didn't know how to have good behavior and with uh, questions about who I was and I miss my, my poor baby. I miss my father so much I used to sit in the window and wonder if he might be coming back. Because when I would ask, did he drown, did he die? And he drowned with five other people and they never found him and they dragged the river for a month to go look for them all and he never came home. And I remember asking my mother, is daddy coming back? He said, get out of here and go sit down and let grown folks know, I don't know. And that's the way they dealt with me. And they put me in the room and said, be quiet, sit down somewhere. So I sat in the room by myself while I'm sitting there, afraid to death that I'm never going to see my father again, and I didn't. And I remember just sitting in the window saying, maybe this is a dream. Maybe this isn't real. Maybe, maybe he's coming back. And I would stare out the window and sometimes fall asleep there, wondering if this wasn't really real. And that sense of desperation and distance and the absence of a, a, a grown person, a support structure who was to calm me and comfort me, I had to come to my own conclusions. And so, yes, it started desperate for me. It started desperate and it stayed desperate for a long time, actually. And I didn't know it was desperation. And that's the thing about desperation. You don't know it's desperation. Uh You just think you live in your life. Uh Right. And so you don't know. So the first thing I would say is when somebody's in that place, you got to find the counsel of someone who knows more and can help you. And sometimes that's very difficult. So the next thing is you got to find focus. Focus on something, something positive so that you fill the gap. And for me, what saved my life, and I will say this loud and I will say it proud and I'll say it like nothing else in this whole wide world. And it may sound crazy, but it was wrestling in junior high school to officially start it. I had wrestled a little bit more before that, but once I did, I found myself connected to something. And whenever I thought about despair, I always thought about, well, at least I can wrestle. At least I could do that. At least I'm good at it. At least somebody respects me. At least I know the rules there. See, the thing about desperation, too, is you go places, you don't always know all the rules. And you're trying to, you're trying to conform. You're trying to do the stuff you do, but it's confusing. And nobody's there to help you and tell you. And that's why I talk to you and your brother so much. That's why I sat y'all down so much. It's because I wanted to make sure that you didn't have questions about things that were simple and direct and shouldn't be confusing. So, right, we, we used to talk and have all this time, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you got to find something to focus on that you can depend on. I don't care if you're a painter and you like to play with paint, paint. If you like to write and you think you, got, you can script a little bit, then write, right? And now you see people, a lot of people trying to rap, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that a coincidence? How many people try to rap? Mm-hmm. Why? Because they got a story to tell. They're trying to tell that story to everybody else. And they're trying to say, see me. Uh-huh. Right? And they're using that vehicle. I think that vehicle may have saved a lot of souls here up to date. It's like a diary. You heard? It's like a diary. So you find something to hold on to. A lot of guys used to be gangster. Uh-huh. And they start rapping. And it at least saved them from committing some other kind of felony to get themselves jacked up. Can't business on it. So you find something to, to do. Uh-huh. So, somehow, some way, whether you, uh, we'd like it if you stay in school and you graduate and whatever else, but sometimes people, that ain't, that ain't what happens for them. Uh-huh. They, they have to get out. Uh-huh. And so even then, go find something that you can enjoy, something that you can put your heart into and, 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 and commit yourself to it. It makes a huge difference when you're committed to something. And then you got to start asking questions. I, I would tell people a, a million times. People don't read as much anymore, but I would say read, man. Read, listen to audio tapes, do whatever you got to do to hear somebody else's perspective who's come before you. And that is exactly why I started this round 12. This is about resilience, brother. This is about getting through it. This is about no matter whatever happens, I can make it. I know I can make it. 
I've been through the worst, but I know I can make it. That dude can make it. I know I can make it. Uh-huh. I, I'm taller than him. <laughs> Everybody's taller mm-hmm. than me, but I hit hard, so it's all good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you find something that you can commit to, and then you, you give yourself the goal to succeed. Nothing begins until it begins in your head as a firm, concrete sense of goal, sense of direction. And once you get that, you can get through anything, but you got to lock that in. I think what happens to people is that they remain aimless. They remain without focus. And they say to themselves, this is how my life is. I might as well just go and rob this thing, get this money, man. And they don't think they have choices. We have an abundance of choices. We got all kinds of choices that we don't know, but nobody ever told us. Uh I'm one of the most fortunate people on earth is that somehow I made it through no matter what. And even though I didn't have people telling me you could be great, you could accomplish anything, somehow or another, I was just arrogant enough to believe it. Somehow or another, and my friend Lexi, he went through a lot of changes. My friend Lexi, long story short, which would take a lot longer than this thing to tell you, but he did time in Rikers Island. He did time in several prisons, Trent State, etc. And he's doing well now after a lot of years of tumult and challenge and change. And he and I traveled exactly the same streets and did exactly the same stuff and got in exactly the same potential trouble. But for some strange reason, I was able to see clearly and redirect my life. And that's why I feel like a really blessed man. And that's why I'm here creating this podcast. I'll say again, I created because I have a responsibility to the world at large and especially young men and especially young black men because I am you and I endured some kind of how, some kind of way. And I'm here to say you can too, but you just got to get focused. The best Nikon camera in the world is useless without focus. And once you focus on any one thing, it helps you focus on another thing and another. And then you can get clear and talk, communicate, let that shit out. It's sitting in your stomach. It's sitting in your stomach making you sick and you don't know. That's why men don't talk to each other. Women talk to each other all the time. That's all they do is talk to each other. They comfort each other. They support each other. They lift each other up. We men, we want to see who hard. We walk in the room and see who hard Mm -hmm. and see who we got to deal with. And that's a mistake. And then a lot of guys sitting in prison, learning lessons of their life that they should have known about collaboration and cooperation and education, sitting there saying, man, why did I mess this up too late now, but I might as well learn while I'm here. I'd say to people, listen to brothers like me and learn it now before you have to get in extreme trouble along the way. I like that. Yeah, a lot of people just need to hear that type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people just kind of don't know where they're going, what's next, what to do. How can I overcome these problems, you know? So sometimes a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah. Now the last question, especially with uh with the finals going on, it's yeah. a lot of a lot of high risk moments. Stop. A lot of, you know, things like that. I wanna ask you as a man, not in a in a game, you know, but in life, uh, just your definition to you. What is pressure? What does pressure mean to you? Well, dude, what I've learned about pressure is much of it is self inflicted. Mm, you right. put, explain that what much of it is self-inflicted like pressure is how you perceive it mm. really and you notice how the best players especially professional athletes they're a great example but mm. there are other professionals there are all kinds of other people mm. for that matter a mother giving birth I mean but there's yeah. all kinds of, of, of positions people have but if you take a professional athlete if you ever look at their face in the heat of battle they look so calm mm-hmm they look like they're so invested. Why? Some of them. Some, <laughs> some of them look like a deer in headlights. No question there. No question. <laughs> but you look at the best, right? And they look like they're in another place. You know the proverbial zone? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So pressure for them is now turned down a notch or two. And if you think about pressure as a, as a, a stove burner, right? Mm-hmm. For some people, well, first of all, pressure exists no matter what. Pressure exists when we drive a car, mm-hmm. right? Right, because there's a tension that happens, but it's not high tension anymore from when you first get your license, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's a little bit of tension because you're paying attention to what's going on mm-hmm. and you're cautious, but it's a low fire on the on the stove, mm-hmm. right? It's always on, but it's a low fire and you can deal with it. It ain't that bad. It's actually simmering some stuff, mm-hmm. right? Right? But I think what happens is, is how your sense of yourself it manifests in your brain and how it functions and how it directs you is how you handle pressure. So I think pressure is a perception. Mm. And I think 
you can start to get a grasp on what's happening to you and you can lessen that pressure and help turn that dial down. Mm. One of it is breathing. You know, we've been talking about breathing a lot of years in Japanese mm-hmm. karate and all that other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Deep breath in, long breath out. Mm-hmm. Sounds like such a simple thing. Mm-hmm. But you know how few people really do that when, quote, pressure comes mm-hmm. on? They tense and they, and, they, and they restrict themselves. And then they can't figure out what to do next and their brain won't help them engage so that they can get on to what they have to do. I think how we handle pressure is a matter of practice, is a matter of focus, is a matter of self-understanding, is a matter of emphasizing the good things that have happened to you and downplaying the negative things because they don't define you, right? Don't let a win go to your head mm-hmm. and a loss go to your heart, mm-hmm. right? Shout out to you you feel me? And so I think that champion. while um, there's a lot of real challenges for people growing up who are young now, mm-hmm. they're, they're really, let's just face it, a lot of choices going on. you got the world at your hands and your phone sitting in your hand. There used to be a time you'd have to go to the encyclopedia, you'd have to go to the library, you'd have to go somewhere to go study all this information that is two seconds away in your hand. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's too much power. Sometimes it's too much information. Sometimes it's so much information that it's distracting and it messes you up. Mm-hmm. And you can't figure out what the hell to do because there's too many things to do. That's like being in a grocery store looking at the, the, the aisle and you figure, man, there's too much stuff to decide. I can't figure out which one to get. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it is sometimes with, quote, pressure. But I think once you get one opportunity to be in a pressure situation, see it for what it is, Calm your nerves down, take a deep breath, get through it in spite of your nerves, and come out on the other side and then reflect, then you can build on that layer upon layer. But then the other thing, just like I said earlier, communicate it with somebody. You say, man, I went through this thing today, man. I ain't gonna lie, I was nervous as shit, man. I was nervous, man. I, I was bugging, man. I almost peed my pants. I was nervous. Damn, man, that's too much information. I know, man, but I'm just saying, I was nervous. But then I got through it, though, bruh. So you know what? I learned something, man. If I could get through that, maybe I could get through more stuff, man. You know, you think we could do you think we could get through stuff, man? It's like, well yeah, I got I got something too. I, I went through something and I got it's like, dang man, we, we got through that. Maybe 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 we could do more. Maybe maybe, maybe we could make it, man. You know? Mm-hmm. And then you start to emphasize what's good. You know, like a lot of times, like you approach somebody. Like if I see Lexi right now, I, I ain't hollering at him in a while. But as a matter of fact, his birthday is tomorrow. I'm going to call and holler at him. That's strange. Mm-hmm. And you know what he's going to say to me when he pick up the phone? Yo, what's good? That's what he like to say. What's good? And so that becomes the question. What's good? That's how you handle pressure. By focusing on what's good. And then once you do that, twice, three times, ten times, and becomes a form of habit, and habit rules the world, bro. How you habit is how you live. Once you decide you know what's good, you keep deciding to look for what's good, and then you make a determination that I'm not going to focus so hard on what's bad, even though it exists and you got to pay attention, Mm -hmm. like driving that car on low heat, Mm -hmm. right? But put the high heat on what's good. Uh I like that. Okay, last, last question before we get out of here. Oh, you bad as me on last, last. That's like last, last push-up, question. remember? Yeah, uh, we it was never last push-up. Yeah, come on, man. Look, last question. All right. So, when, uh, and hopefully in about like 30 years or so, oh, when Roger Hamilton leaves this earth. You trying to get rid of me, man? My, <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Roger Hamilton. 30, let's see, 36. 30 well, I, I can make a hundred. You know what I'm saying? Damn, I'm going to give you a lot of time. All right, then. When, when Roger Hamilton leaves this earth, in one word, describe how you would want to be remembered with one word. What do you want people to remember you about? Father. Father? Father. Father, bro. Father. Let me tell you something. You've heard this before. And I'll say it to you again. The greatest, grandest, most important thing that has ever happened to me, without question, is you and your brother. It changed my life. It altered my perspective, it grew my soul, it extended my humanity to include other people thoroughly and fully and without question. 
and it's the best gift that I ever gave and received at the same time. All that teaching that I was doing, you and him, you guys were teaching me at the same time. I re-raised myself, raising y'all. So in the end, there is no greater thing in this world than God's gift to me of you two. And I always honor your mother because you came, your bodies came through her body. And that's why I give her the respect I give her, even if she get on my nerves. It is what it is. I gotta honor what happened. And the fact is, she's an important part of this whole thing because she, you had to come through her body. But bro, this realization and all this work we put in, and with her traveling like she has all these years and us having to had to spend time together like we did and look in each other's eyes and trust each other, talk to each other, laugh with each other, <laughs> crazy and train all that sweat we left on the floor. There is no greater thing in this world. You want to put that on my grave and you don't say nothing else. If you just say Roger Bush Hamilton lays here, fuck. There we go. That's all we have here, folks. Um, you know, coming from Ali Hamilton. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I just like to thank y'all for listening here. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Round One. So, that's Ali trying to put us out, right? But I'm going to have to jump in and do that because he ain't got it like that yet. But I got to say thank you, Ali, with all my heart, man, for coming in, sitting here, you and I having this conversation. And for those of us, those listeners, no offense whatsoever. If this appeals to you and you want to hear this, you know, interaction between a father and son and a man and a man, then you feel free to jump in and maybe you pick up a little something from it. Right. And if not, no hard feelings at all, too, because I enjoy very much sitting here with my son, my friend, uh, Mr. Ali Walter Bush Hamilton. I tell you what. So thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, time!